Key results are results, right? Key results are not, look what I did. Here's the work that I did. So you'll see people talking about, oh, this key result. What percentage complete are we with this key result? That's a poorly framed problem because it, it assumes that it's something I'm going to do. And so I'm 80% complete with it. So I only have 20% more to go. That's not what we're doing here. We're not trying to measure how much work you're doing. We're trying to measure the outcome of what we're trying to shoot for. And that's a really difficult distinction, but with OKRs, when you're doing it effectively, you're always asking that question, what is the intended outcome of the task? You are listening to Dreams with Deadlines. I'm your host, Jenny Harold. In this episode, we sit down with Ben Lamort, a renowned OKRs expert and founder of OKRs.com. Join us as Ben shares his invaluable insights on deploying effective OKRs, tackling common challenges, and the future of OKRs and organizations. Here are a few things we talked about. The 10 universal deployment parameters for successful OKRs implementation. The distinction between milestone and metric key results and when to use each. The real world examples where OKRs drive outcomes over outputs. To wrap it up, Ben answers our signature quick fire questions. Let's jump in. He is known as the person with the most OKR experience on earth. And after his two-part episode on the second order of OKR's questions, we invited him back to the show. We've got OKR coach, author, Ben Lamore with us here today. Ben, as always, it's great to have you here. Well, thanks for having me. And it's great to be here. I think this is my favorite topic, OKRs. And if not my favorite, I would say one of my top two because I don't want to offend everybody, but favorite podcast hosts in the domain of OKR. You always have great energy, you have great questions. So I'm really excited to be here to talk wherever we're going to go. Of course, I have lots of ideas for where the agenda is going to go, but I'll let you drive and just try to keep me honest because I get so excited about OKRs, I might take this into some totally new direction. <laughs> I think it's totally great. So maybe we start with the basics because we did talk about the second order of OKRs when you were on the show the first time. But the basics are like, you have a very specific definition of OKRs, right? Most people are like, well, objectives are this and key results are that. How do you define OKRs? I love this question because I actually want to think of OKRs, believe it or not, more as a verb than a noun. This sounds like a subtle point, but it's actually important, which is you can't just say, oh, see, OKRs are the objectives and key results. I wrote them down. So there they are. They're my goals, right? That's like saying, what's a banana? Oh, it's something you find in the grocery store. It's a true statement, but it doesn't really tell you much about what it is. So with OKRs, I really want to think of it as a mindset as opposed to an actual artifact. That's what I mean by a verb, more of a mindset or approach to work, as opposed to a noun, like a thing that we wrote down. So I define it as a critical thinking framework. And the key part of that is asking questions and an ongoing discipline, meaning that you're asking these questions all the time. So it's not, let's ask these questions once a year, once a quarter, or once every six months or whatever, that seeks to ensure employees work together. Now the work together part is important because if you've seen traditional goal setting models where you have like org charts with KPIs for each department, you're wondering why everybody's working in silos it's because I'm only concerned about the things in my box. With OKRs, we're actually trying to embrace cross-functional alignment and then focusing effort to make measurable contributions. And the key point there is if you're gonna focus, you can't focus on everything, so it raises the question of what are we going to focus on? And by the way, measurable contribution. So this is OKRs. It's really about where can we move the needle as opposed to doing stuff that's not going to make a measurable impact. And I want to emphasize 
part of everybody's job is to do stuff that's not measurable, right? We're not trying to measure everything. But when the organization says, hey, this is the big focus for us to make progress, we then have to take the time to define what that measurable progress looks like. So that's the definition of OKRs. And when I say it's a critical thinking framework and ongoing discipline, that part there is about asking questions. There's three questions that get you 80% of the way there. I'm just gonna tell you those questions because I think you need to know those. This is it. Okay. Number one, where do we wanna focus to make progress in the near term and why? That's one set of questions, which has to do with what is the objective? Okay, so I think the objective is the answer to the question. Where do we want to focus to make measurable progress in the near term and why? And why now, right? That's the first question. The second question, how do we know we've achieved the objective? Another flavor of that is how do we know we've made measurable progress on that objective by end of cycle, this date, whatever date it is. That's going to get you the key result. And perhaps the most important question of all, and I won't take credit for this question because my mentor taught it to me, but is what is the intended outcome of the task? Because inevitably, when you ask people for the key results, they give you a list of things to do. Post the blog, update the website, right? All these kinds of things. What is the intended outcome of posting the blog? Or what is the intended outcome of updating the website, right? And then we start talking about getting more leads or something like that, right? Or getting more web uh, blog subscribers or getting more web traffic or whatever the measurable result is we're going for. And then that helps us align. So. That's the definition of OKRs in a nutshell. I will point out that I have, I'm excited about this. I think it's page 144 of the OKRs field book has a list of questions that's more comprehensive. But I'll just say, if you get those three questions and you're asking those questions, effectively you're doing OKRs. It's the act of asking those questions that defines the process of doing OKRs. Super helpful, Ben, as always. Okay, so we're going to talk about trends because I think this is, Interesting. The last time you talked about OKR trends that were emerging then, for example, people were shifting from three to four month cycles. And the reason was to clearly separate OKRs from, let's say, a quarterly performance review cycle, which people have questions about. What are some of the new trends that you've seen emerge since the last time we spoke? My personal new trend is, and this is the big one, is the sixth mantra for OKRs coaches where I talked about the first five mantras in the field book, and they're also super cool. And we, we probably should talk about those as context at some point today. But the sixth mantra, the new one, which is like the thing that I'm seeing now, and I think it probably was always there, but I think now we're just starting to really realize that it's a critical success factor for an OKRS project, is to embed alignment, embed that work together part of the definition of OKRs into every single step of your OKRs program. So I'll give you an example. One of the earliest things that happened to me when I was first starting with OKRs, we knew alignment was important. So we would say, hey, here are the objectives and here are the key results. We write them all down, we get all excited. Okay, now let's take those out and align them right across the organization. Let's make sure we're aligned. We've written our OKRs down and we'll shop around and show this to marketing and then we'll show it to customer success. We'll run it by all these people and make sure that we're aligned. And that was pretty good. But notice I just said that alignment then happens in this one magical moment called align your OKRs, as if it's itself a step. What we found is we looked a little bit more deeply at this whole OKRs process is that actually alignment can happen all the way through the entire program. So to make that a little bit more concrete, 
one of the trends we're seeing, <laughs> I, know, I have to be careful because I know you represent an OKR software vendor, and I'm about to say something bad about OKR software vendors, right? It's not true for all OKR software vendors, but a lot of OKR software vendors wanted to do the thing where you have like the Uber objective for the company with its little key results underneath it. And then each key result, those become objectives to the next level down. And this is like cascading OKRs directly is what we call it. That was a pretty common practice in the beginning of OKRs, in large part due to the infamous example that John Doerr presented about a football team. In Measure What Matters, right. In Measure What Matters. It's actually in Measure What Matters, this example, page 80 something. Yeah, you'll probably see it. Became very popular. I think a lot of the software vendors, because they can think, it's easy if you're a computer programmer to think in subsets, this is adding up to that, and this is like a, a relationship. Great. But that's not how OKRs works. And more and more people, I would say the trend is now that you're now in the minority, a radical, if you're telling me now, even in today's 2023 modern era of OKRs, that the way that OKRs works is the key result becomes the objective of the next level down. I don't see that as much. There's tons of reasons why we could analyze that, but I don't see that. And this is a good thing. So I'm trying to say the trends that we're seeing, I think with OKRs are good. I wanna be clear. OKRs got super popular around 2018 with the book, Measure What Matters. And this is good news and bad news because what happened was people read the book, they get excited, they start implementing OKRs. The problem is then they realize this hype was for naught because I'm failing. OKRs are making my life even worse. And this happened quite a bit, of course, because they're doing it wrong. And I think now the good news is more and more teams are starting to do it right. There's enough best practices out there. And oh, by the way, watch out for this, that from my experience, the trend is a lot of organizations that are doing OKRs now are actually doing it right as opposed to it used to be you have to fail. At least fail twice and then you're going to maybe get it right. Now it's like, wait a minute, we've seen enough failures that we can begin to learn from mistakes and maybe we can just do it right the first time. So that's a really positive development in OKRs. I think so too. So you had dropped a note about the mantras. Probably worthwhile to talk through what the first five mantras of OKRs and what you describe as the general best practices for this. Can you walk us through what those five mantras are? Yeah. And I know we've talked about this before, but I want to emphasize less is more. This is where we say define a small set of OKRs. I have never, and I challenge anyone to tell me that they have had this experience if you're an OKRs coach, had somebody come to me and say, Ben, or OKRs coach, we need your help because we need more OKRs. You know, we don't have enough OKRs. We want more. I've never seen that. I'm saying that as a joke because I really actually, if that happened to you, I really want you to give me a call, ben at okrs.com and tell me the story about how somebody wanted more OKRs. I haven't heard of that before. But typically they've written OKRs are all over the place and they really want my help or the coach's help to narrow that list down to like the vital few. Really, where are we focused, guys? And that's the number one principle. So what's happening is we're starting to see organizations start with very small sets of OKRs when they're first. I'm talking one or two objectives for a given team, maybe three is the cutoff. The second mantra is crawl, walk, run. And this simply means get it right, scale it after you nail it. Don't start rushing the program out to everybody. And again, I'm working with a government project where they have a hundred departments in their government, but we're just doing a pilot with like about eight to 12 departments. That's a great model, right? So in other words, even though let's say the head of the state wants everybody to do OKRs, let's suppose, right? And they're saying, we got to get this out. It's like, okay, but let's crawl, walk, run. Let's get this right with a small group first. And that might take a couple cycles, right? You might have to go through a couple cycles before, even with a pilot group, before you can really scale it out. Now, OKRs are not everything. It's your third mantra. 
because a lot of organizations try to write everything into their OKRs. This gets a little bit back to less is more because remember, OKRs are supposed to be the most important areas where we want to focus to make measurable progress. OKRs are not simply an inventory of all the work we're going to do. So we talk about, you know, update the website and things like that, right? Those are not OKRs, but it might be really important to update the website or update the security software. Why? Well, we want, we don't want to get hacked. Okay. We need to complete the audit. True. Why? Well, we don't want our CFO to go to jail, but none of those things should be considered OKRs, right? Updating the website, getting through the audit, updating the security software, all of those kinds of things should be important work. That's not part of your OKRs. And so it's really important to remember that OKRs don't represent all the important work. It represents the most important area for making measurable progress. And then the fourth mantra is really the only way to learn OKRs is to do OKRs. To do them. Yeah. You have to just jump in. It's as much as I like to talk about OKRs, I'll limit my theory if I'm working, let's say for a half day workshop, because nobody does a full day workshop anymore, but let's say we have a half day workshop with an organization. We'll limit that general principles of OKRs and examples and templates and best practices and all that stuff to no more than one hour. And we'll spend two or three hours of that workshop just doing it because that's really how you learn. So the fifth one, in my opinion, is outcomes, not output. And this is really maybe obvious, but key results are results, right? Key results are not, look what I did. Here's the work that I did. So you'll see people talking about, oh, this key result, what percentage complete are we with this key result? That's a poorly framed problem because it, it assumes that it's something I'm going to do. And so I'm 80% complete with it. So I only have 20% more to go. That's not what we're doing here. We're not trying to measure how much work you're doing. We're trying to measure the outcome of what we're trying to shoot for. And that's a really difficult distinction, but with OKRs, when you're doing it effectively, you're always asking that question, what is the intended outcome of the task? So those are the first five mantras. And what I found is if you stick to those five, you're in pretty good shape. That sixth one, which was embed alignment into every aspect of your OKRs program. That's the one that I guess I would say, I just left that out of the field book. I'm evolving my ideas. And that's the one that's the latest trend. And it has a lot of implications. There's a lot of kind of small points that add up to, a, to making your OKRs program successful if you go through and really think about alignment at every little step of your OKRs program. Let's talk about the six then. I think the first five hopefully are very clear to people. And it's interesting with the outcomes versus outputs conversation that there, there seem to be people who are real believers in that and people who are pragmatic and more loose about that. I'll ask some questions about that toward the end. I think that'll be helpful to talk through, but maybe let's dig into the sixth OKR mantra since this was not in the book, but on this podcast to embed alignment in every aspect of OKRs. Maybe we could start with the obvious Let's define alignment. Like what is quality alignment and what isn't? So alignment is when we are on the same page about the answer to the question, the basic question of why are we doing OKRs? It starts there. If one group is saying, oh yeah, we're doing OKRs because we want to use it for performance management. And another team is saying, hey, we need to do OKRs because it's going to help us with managing our tasks. And some other group is saying, well, we're going to do OKRs because it's going to help us focus on what matters. And another group is saying, hey, we're going to do OKRs because now we'll have measurable goals, right? So everybody has their different ideas about why we're doing OKRs, but we're all doing it for different reasons. And there's no leadership person saying, hey, here's why our organization is doing OKRs and it's got to be super succinct. Then we're not aligned. So in other words, if we're not even asking the questions, 
then we don't even have a universe of which to be aligned on. So it starts with having a clear set of what the questions are that we need to answer. And then it has to do with aligning on that answer. And aligning is also another word for saying, we agree, we know what it is uh, across different parts of the organization. And there's two types of alignment, right? You have your leadership down, a top-down model. Sometimes the executive team is aligned with everything. They all are on the same page about the answers to these questions. But then the rest of the company isn't. Or sometimes these two departments are super aligned about why we're doing OKRs and how we're going to set it only at the team level and not the individual level and all these various questions that we're going to ask. But yet the other teams are not. And so we have alignment in pockets. And what we really need is alignment in both levels, top-down alignment and also horizontal alignment across teams. In order to do this, we have to have a set of questions that we ask. And to be fair, I was doing this already in deployment parameters where we talk about what are the levels, how many OKRs will we set, how are we going to talk about progress on key results, right? Are we going to use confidence scores? Are we going to use happy faces or whatever? If you're the CEO, your organization is aligned on the OKRs program when everybody you talk to about OKRs talks to you in the same way, right? We uh, would ideally have a cycle time where when somebody says it's the OKR cycle is ending on August 30th, in an ideal world, we're all aligned on that and everybody's ending their OKR cycle on August 30th, as opposed to it's a free West, right? And everybody's sort of doing their OKRs in their own little way. So building that alignment into the beginning of an OKRs program really translates to aligning on the answers to the foundational questions of your OKRs program. Back to your question, alignment is, it's going to be different. That's the big insight. It's like alignment is a pretty broad concept. And so you have to think about what is alignment at each stage of your OKRs program. And you have to think about that and then begin to get that alignment at each stage, as opposed to what I just said is there's this foundational stage called deployment coaching, and we have to get alignment there. And actually, to be fair, I've, I've been doing a pretty good job of that. But then what? Right now, how do we make sure we have alignment later on? Even if we know, okay, we're going to have OKRs at these teams. Here's why we're doing OKRs. Here's the end of the OKR cycle time. Here's how many OKRs we can have. All of that. Great. But does that mean we have alignment in our OKRs program? Hmm. No. This is like step one toward a many-stepped process to making sure that we have alignment. So what I'm hearing, and maybe you can correct me, my understanding is if you've read the book, um, you'll probably get it. If you haven't read the book, go pick it up. It's called The OKRs Field Guide by Ben Lamort. You've got the 10 universal deployment parameters. You want the whole organization to be aligned on principally, how do, are we going to do this? Why and how are we going to do this? And then there are three phases to the OKR cycle, and you're checking for alignment through those phases. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. It, this is not a joke, right? It might seem easy to say, well, here are the teams that will set OKRs. Actually, the question is, what is a team? We have to align on what is even a team for the purposes of OKRs. Often we'll just say, well, let's use functional teams like product, engineering, HR, finance, those types of things. But what you'll find is that in many cases, that doesn't help to create alignment. You have to ask yourself, if we're using OKRs, many cases you're using OKRs in order to drive alignment in the organization. That's the irony of the whole thing. If you set OKRs by these functional teams, you may end up actually enhancing silo effects and you may not increase alignment. So a lot of times the organization will say we have these squads, the buyer squad, the seller squad, the advertiser squad, or what have you, because they're working with customer groups or you have customer process, right? I've worked with one organization that does the customer journey. So you have the registration squad, the account registration squad for their online registration. And then you have your payment squad. We handle the payment at the end and 
the recommendation squad. Here are the other items that we think you might like, right? So you have the whole customer journey mapped out, and then you have a team of cross-functional people, engineers, marketing, finance, whatever, who are assigned to making that piece work. That's going to help you with alignment. So now, if we have both of those functional teams and cross-functional squads, which is actually now becoming more the norm of what I'm seeing in most organizations, they do have functional teams, but they also have some form of cross-functional squad. They might call them a pod. Who knows? There's all sorts of funny names for these things, project teams or whatever. But OKRs tend to do better in these cross-functional squads as opposed to functional teams. And I learned that over time. And so now I'm saying, oh, okay, well, then the teams should, if we want to embed alignment into the OKRs program, hey, let's leverage your cross-functional teams for developing OKRs rather than your functional teams. So every little decision, you're thinking, wait, what helps to drive alignment more? So you've rattled off a few of the 10 universal deployment parameters. Uh, as you described the various ways to think about alignment, maybe it'd be worthwhile, I think, to actually articulate um, what those 10 parameters are that you're thinking about before you even get into the OKR theory and coaching and actually creating OKRs. Uh, you had learned based on a story. Maybe you can tell us the story first and we'll get into that. Like, what was the story that made you think, you know what, let's not just launch into creating OKRs. We need to define what you call the universal 10 uh, deployment parameters first, because that's problematic. How did you arrive at this probably needs to be done first? Yeah, well, you know how to attack me where it hurts. Clearly, you read the field book. So I, in my early stages, was called on to do an OKRs training workshop in France. And I was like, okay, let's do that. And, but shouldn't we do some prep? And they said, sure, we'll have like a prep call. So we had like a half an hour prep call and I showed them some slides and said, here's how I talk about OKRs. They said, wow, that looks great. We'll see you in France. So I felt a little bit uncomfortable. This was, like I said, in the early stages of my OKRs training curriculum and all that. I mean, I had a pretty good deck of slides. I wasn't too worried about that, but something didn't feel quite right. So anyway, when I get to the event and I do the training, really like on the fifth or sixth slide into this thing, I'm getting all these questions. If OKRs isn't for performance management, then how do we do performance management? And how are OKRs different than KPIs? If we already have KPIs, why do we need key results? And can we just copy the key results from the top level and make those become the objectives at the lower level? And it was going on and on. These questions were just bombarding me. And I couldn't, I, I didn't know. Like the fact of the matter is that the answers to these questions are not necessarily universal, right, to all organizations. The questions themselves are universal, but the answers depend on the organization. So what I learned was in order to make the training a success, you have to know the answers to these questions before you go and train the larger group. You have to know things like, at what level will we set OKRs? You can't go in there saying, hey, you could set OKRs at different levels. They're gonna wonder, well then how do we know which level to set? Should we start with companies? Should we do our team? How big is our company? What about individual level OKRs? I heard you should do those. And I'm sitting here going, no, I don't think you should do those. So now we're arguing about the metaphysics of OKRs, but we're not actually getting into the part where we can do OKRs because we don't even know how long the cycle is. So if we start to try to do OKRs, then people are saying, well, should I be setting key results for like the end of this month that we're in now? Or are we looking like the end of the year? And so we're spending all of our time and our training pulling our hair out as opposed to just doing OKRs. So I would... I learned on the plane ride back from France, I realized, wait a minute, there's this list of things that you have to know the answers to before you go into your OKRs training workshop. And I called those deployment parameters. We're gonna take a short break. 
You are listening to Dreams with Deadlines, the podcast that brings you real stories of trials and victories in business, brought to you by Quantive. Quantive is a strategy execution platform that helps organizations create greater strategic agility and excel at execution. With more than 2,000 customers, Quantive helps companies close the gap between strategy and execution to achieve their best possible. And now, back to the show. Let's talk about those. Let's let's just go down the list. What are the 10 universal deployment parameters that you should define before you actually start doing OKRs so that you can learn how to do OKRs? What are those? Yeah, I mean, the first is, I think number one most important is the levels. At what level will we set OKRs? Are we setting OKRs at the company level, at a team level? What is a team, right? And then there's the number of OKRs. That's number two. How many OKRs will we set? That's how many objectives will a given team set? How many key results per objective? And typically we'll have a maximum cutoff, right? Because less is more. So we're not going to say you have to set three objectives, but we're going to say at most define three objectives, right? Less is more. So if you only need two, go with that, right? So we're giving them tips on how to do OKRs. How about scoring key results? And scoring is a loaded word. You can think of this as how will we update progress? How will we know we're on track throughout the cycle? It's not just... um, at the end of the cycle, how do we score this thing or how do we grade it, which is where we started with this. It's how will we know we're on track, right? Are we going to use happy face and sad face? Are we going to use confidence percentage of completeness like Christina does in Radical Focus where she says every key result starts at 50% confident. So are you more confident or less confident throughout the cycle? We need to have some universal answer to that question. So everybody's doing it the same way. How long is an OKR cycle, right? Is it a quarter? We talked about that before. Is it three months? Is it four months? Is it six months? Probably it's three months, four months, or six months. Every now and then you'll extend it to a year, but that's really the maximum for a key result. Sometimes people will do, at Intel, it was, um, I want to say it was monthly. (laughs) If you go back to the book, um, I guess it was by Andy Grove, what is it called? High Outcome Management or something. High High Output Management, yeah. You'll see that they used OKRs at Intel in the early days And it was a monthly cycle. I mean, so that's no longer a common practice, but think about it. What is our cycle time? And then will we allow milestone key results or only metric key results? In other words, do key results have to have numbers? It's a very controversial topic, and we need to know the answer to that before we go. Now, I will usually say milestones can be used, but again, maybe they should only be used in certain cases. Where will we publish the OKRs, right? Will we have an OKRs tracker? Well, or will we have software to use for publishing these things? Where will we store the OKRs so they're all in one place? Meanwhile, where will we draft OKRs, right? So the idea is drafting OKRs is generally anywhere you want, whiteboard, PowerPoint slides, I don't care, napkin. But publishing, we find it's really important when you publish your OKRs and they're finalized to put them in one spot. And so what does that template look like? I've actually found knowing the answer to where we're going to publish these things, it's a good idea to have that pretty much figured out even before you do your training workshop. Otherwise, it can get railroaded. Somebody will start talking about how, well, we did OKRs in my other organization. We couldn't put them in one spot or they use this. We had this one Excel file, but only Billy knew where it was. And so now, you know, you're in trouble. But if you can tell them, oh, we've already thought about that. And here's what we decided. And we being several key people from the organization, not just an external trainer person coming in. And then performance. How will OKRs relate to performance reviews? This is a really loaded topic. And if you don't have a good answer to this, now some organizations don't have performance reviews. I guess OKRs won't relate to performance reviews because we don't have them. But other organizations have these performance reviews that have been in process for 20 years. And probably OKRs will not change your existing performance review system. If you're a big company that has a performance review system in place, 
But how do they come into play? How do we talk about OKRs in our performance reviews? We need to know how those things relate because otherwise we create anxiety in many cases. And then KPIs versus key results. What's the difference? Now, some organizations, KPIs are all about KPIs. I've seen these things, uh, I won't name the name, but I had a client recently where we had to actually just quit the program and we had to stop the program. It didn't work. And the reason it didn't work was every time I would start talking about OKRs, didn't matter who I was talking to, they would start saying, well, we already have KPIs. How is this different than KPIs? I already know my KPIs. Here's one of my KPIs. I have to increase it from this value to that value by the end of the year. Here's our goal. And now how does OKRs add? And I was like, look, I'm raising the white flag. They don't want to do OKRs. I don't even know if they want to do KPIs, but they're angry at me. So what I've learned is you have to know the difference for them and you have to be able to explain to them how OKRs can work with KPIs and how they're complementary or how OKRs are going to replace KPIs, which is generally not the case, but it's possible. Or, you know, you better figure this out before you go in and start doing a bunch of training workshops. Hmm, maybe you don't need OKRs because people are so entrenched in their KPI model that this whole OKRs thing is never going to work. So again, finding that out before you start doing the training programs and then alignment. How will we assure OKRs are aligned? Will we present OKRs to dependent departments? Will we bring in different teams, functional teams, to uh, draft OKRs from the start? How will we deal with that? And then finally, bottom up. Now, objectives typically come from the top. Leadership says here are the objectives. But we want most key results to come from team members as opposed from leadership. We want the key results to be able to be self-generated by the people doing the work. How do we make sure that's going to happen? Now, and some organizations, that's already happening. Some organizations are very hierarchical, and they're just going to tell you, here are your key results. Maybe that's okay, but generally what we found is unless the key results are mostly coming from the team members, you don't get buy-in in your OKRs project, and it seems a little bit more like a mandate. And now we don't really see the benefits of OKR. So we have to have answers to these questions. And it usually takes two to four hours of discussion to get the answer to these questions. So it's not a massive investment, but once you have them in place, you've set the stage up for success with phase two, which is to do your training workshops. Who should be in that room when these 10 universal deployment parameters are defined? Well, now we're getting into the roles of an OKRs program. And so you definitely want your OKRs project leads. OKRs project leads typically are the people that are kind of running the OKRs program. And I want to emphasize, these people are usually, there's usually two or three of these people, okay, that are in, that are called the OKRs project leads. They're probably in a small company. One of these people is the CEO. Okay. If you have like a hundred people, you know, the CEO is one of your OKRs project leads. But if you're working with an, a large organization with thousands and thousands of employees, definitely your CEO is not your OKRs project lead. But what I would say here is that the OKRs project leads cannot all be from HR, right? We don't want to have this, but this gets back to alignment. If you have all of your OKRs project people from HR or from finance or from operations or whatever, you're not embedding alignment into the very selection of your project leads. You want to get somebody from ops, somebody from strategy, maybe somebody from HR, rather than all people from one functional team. So that's your OKRs project lead. Of course, you need your executive sponsor. The executive sponsor, by definition, is the senior most person that you can get to to advocate for the OKRs program that's going on. Usually this is the CEO, but it may not be because you might be working in a Fortune 500 company where you're not going to get 
whoever the CEO is of Microsoft nowadays. It's not Bill Gates, but whatever his name is. Look, I don't, <laughs> I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to go and talk to this. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not going to get there. So I might be able to get to the director of one business unit or something like that. And that's going to be my senior most person. That's the executive sponsor. And they should be involved at the level of approving the deployment parameters. But as far as developing the deployment parameters, it's really this OKRs project. You just need two or three, maybe four people to agree on what those answers look like. And here's the point. We're aligned on that for now. Let's go through and do OKRs. We can train people based on these deployment parameters. If we need to tweak it later, we can tweak it later. The key point there is, is to get on the same page about what these answers are so that we can go for it. That's why I like to do a couple cycles with all of my clients is usually we'll have to tweak some of these deployment parameters, right? Classic example, we do three month cycles because they said, you know, we want to do quarterly cycles because we read measure what matters and it's quarterly. But after we do a quarter, they say, you know what, actually we should move to a four month cycle or something like that because it's just too much to try. We just did this OKRs thing and now we're doing it again. And can we have that extra month to plan and think it through? Of course, let's make the tweak. So that's what ends up happening with the deployment parameters. You had mentioned briefly that you were okay with having milestone key results. So in uh, your worldview, there's two, right? We talked about outcomes over outputs, right? We want to focus on what's going to happen if you do this thing, right? That helps you get from out of the task mindset. Milestones sound very akin to the task line of things. Can you talk us through the distinction between milestone and metric key results and where it might be appropriate. Do you have an example for us where you're like, you know what, this is a milestone key result. We're going to say it's okay. I'm going to give you a couple examples because, and this is probably the most important point that we'll talk about today. So let's make sure we, uh, we really take the time to dig into this. In an ideal world, like if we were to go there, remember when you study physics, for those of you that study physics, and we talk about in a frictionless society where everybody's ice skating on like perfect ice or something, we can do physics. That's not the real world, right? The real world, there's friction. The real world, there's things that happen. So I'll give you a couple stories. The first one is my home building client. They were one of the top home builders in the United States, really, I mean, for middle priced homes. And they wanted to start expanding. Let's say, I'm gonna use this example. They wanted to build houses in Portland, say Portland, Oregon. And they were on a quarterly cycle. So I would ask questions like, by the end of the quarter, how many houses will we, can we sell in Portland by the end of the quarter? Can we sell a hundred houses, 50 houses? What's the number? And should we talk about the number of houses or the total dollar amount of these houses or the square footage sold or whatever, some metric? Like I want a metric because I'm an OKRs guy. And they're like, Ben, we're not going to sell any houses by the end of the quarter. We haven't even built the houses. We don't even have permission to sell the houses. Okay, so... (laughs) Oh, so you can't just like design them up on a wireframe or like an architectural thing and like put them on the web and pre-sell them or something. They're like, no, you have, we have the land. We already own the land. Okay. So now we have to develop the land and they're educating me on their whole business model. And pretty soon they're telling me, look, the most amazing thing we can imagine by the end of the quarter is that we have the permit to actually begin construction on these houses on the land that we own. And I said, okay, so I guess that's the key result then. If there's no number in here, it's just we have the permit to begin construction. I'm like, well, I guess that's the most amazing thing you can imagine. I guess that's the key result. Now, what I didn't tell you was that at first, what they were trying to put for their key results were things like this. Research the permit. Apply for the permit. Confirm the permit has been received by the government in Oregon or whatever, right? There was this huge list of things they need to do. Present the permit requirements 
to Matt for review. I'll never forget that one. It's like a project plan. It's a to-do list. It's a to-do list. It's a, check yeah. the box. It's a bunch of right. check the box things. And there might be 20 things like on that. It's a project plan. Exactly. And it's like, today we're going to do this. Tomorrow we're going to do that. Then I'm going to get feedback or whatever. That's not key results. Okay. That's action planning. But sometimes the key result itself, which has to, by definition, have some dependency on some behavior outside of your organization or outside of your team. So getting the permit from the state of Oregon to begin construction, that has no numbers in it, but it could be a milestone key result that represents getting ourselves on track to achieve a future metric key result, namely selling houses in Portland. But it's just because of the nature of the quarterly cycle, they can't actually do that number. So I think it's important for milestones to ultimately have a metric that they want to impact, but they, they represent uh, a lot of work and, you know, there's an outcome that we're going for as a, uh, that's measurable outcome. In other words, a yes or no, right? So I'll give you one other example, just because I think it's a more tech example that people might relate to. I had one client that was like, hey, our key result will be wireframe the mobile app. Mm, not so sure about that. Another one might be submit the design to approval with QA or something in their internal department. Mm, that's not really a key result. That's more like we need to go do that, right? What is the outcome we really want? And then finally, they said, we know we're successful if, because that's always a good question we can point to something that we all agree to. And they said, okay, our app is listed on the Apple store in an iOS application that you can access. And we've had our first download. Okay. So now it's like, okay, did we get the app listed on the iOS store? And did we have our first download? That's a yes or no statement, but it's not about getting X number of downloads. It's not about getting X number of dollars from this thing because to them, there's all this work that has to happen. And by the end of the cycle, if they can have the app on there, that's going to be like, wow, we've achieved something amazing. And it's really interesting because is that outcome or is that output? In this case, again, it depends on how you really want to get into the technical definitions of this, but it feels more like an outcome because they've did all this work, which was their output and their effort. And they know that it was successful as measured by it's there it is. And it's a starting point because you could argue, well, that's not really the outcome we're going for because if you get your app listed there, so what? You got one download. Does that really mean we're moving the needle? Well, no, but what's, what's happening is it's setting us up for moving the needle in the next cycle. So this is really where I find milestone key results can be really useful, but they have to be used sparingly. Interesting, cool. Okay, so what we're hearing out of this is you're going to do a bunch of stuff. You're gonna input some effort. It might be okay where the first stage of your OKR is you have an output that comes from that. Either we did a bunch of our inputs so that we could get this permit. We did a bunch of inputs to get an app in the app store. And then from there, you can graduate that at some later stage, because in the case of this permit, this allows them to be able to build homes, which is what they do. And for the tech company, having an app in the app store means that they're going to get feedback and they're going to be able to make improvements to the various engagement metrics, the downloads, whatever it is that they might be tracking uh, because it exists now. And that's totally fine. You got to start somewhere, but to use experimentally. Got it. Cool. I think so. I think the thing is like the distinction I would make, and this is where you get into the gray area, because like you said, the question is, is that output or outcome? I think having the permit to build is the outcome. So I'm calling that an outcome oriented milestone key result. I think submitting the permit is an output, is a reflection of work output. In other words, look, I, and so what you have to be careful about, I've seen key results like this. This is actually a really important point. If you see a key result like this, submit the permit by end of quarter. 
That's the key result. And then the stretch is submit the permit a month before the quarter ends. Well, now that doesn't make any sense because your stretch is simply do something, but do it even faster. Like that's not a good key result. But if your key result is, let's say, for example, on a commit level, you might say, we've submitted the application and confirmed it's been received by the end of the quarter. Okay, fine. The target might be the permit has been approved by the town, giving us permission to build houses. And then the stretch might be all of that. Plus now, because by the end of this cycle, if that would have happened, then we've actually sold five houses. So the first five houses are sold. And that's a better way of saying the key result because it's a, tr it's a true outcome that you can point to as opposed to we got the permit even faster, right? So the level of requirement for being an outcome gets higher as you go to the target and stretch level. Whereas the commit level, it often does look, to be honest with you, the commit level is highly controllable. And sometimes you have to write it as like, we've submitted the, the permit for approval. Like really that's all we can commit to because who knows when the government's gonna get back to us and approve the permit. I can't commit to the, I'm, I'm not the government. I can't, anybody that's worked with governments probably knows it's a bad idea to commit to the government is going to approve anything because governments tend to be very, <laughs> at least where I live, governments, my experience has been, you can't really plan on anything until you get the green light. And if you're going to go down that path. Cool. I think we're going to wrap some stuff up with our quick fire questions. We have your dream with a deadline. Maybe we tighten this a bit. Where do you want Ben Lamort or OKRS.com to be by the end of this year? Well, I would say by the end of this year, I want to be able to have a clear definition of what does success look like with OKRs. Look, there's an elephant in the room for everybody that does OKRs coaching, which is we're all about metrics and tracking things. And we're going into all these organizations and helping them with OKRs and everybody feels good. They're saying, wow, this is great or whatever. We're getting a little anecdotal evidence that OKRs are adding value. You see people asking questions. You feel good about yourself. Every now and then I'll get feedback. I just got feedback from a couple clients unsolicited. And they just said, Ben, I just want to thank you. You know, this has been really helpful. I'm asking questions better. I'm getting more outcome focused. We're, we're achieving things. And I'm talking about like doctors were getting better reviews from their patients. Like I do believe that OKRs in, in I don't want to say it's a magic bullet, as you'll see <laughs> in uh, measure what matters, where it's going to like be a superpower or something. But I do think if you're doing OKRs well, it does really change your experience at work. And it really does make work more engaging it helps you to see uh, more impact in the world and all of that. So you know why you're doing what you're doing. It can be exciting. But I want to be able to have some kind of data, right, as opposed to anecdote that proves that that's true. So I'm working on an OKR's maturity model. I have a buddy who just presented to our network on a beta version of how do we know we're improving the OKR's program so it's helping the organization, right? Like what is the outcome of the OKR's program that we're going for? This has been something that's been haunting me for a while. And so I know what it's not. Like, I know it's not, oh, because of OKRs, we made $10 million more million or something. It's not something like that. It's not, what's the ROI? Show me the dollar investment value of this whole thing. But it's got to be something. And I'm still figuring that out. So I hope by the end of the year, I can answer that question. And I can tell you, here is the impact of OKRs. And I can quantify it and give you this very clear message. Um, at least even if it's with, with a few organizations, here's how they were successful because I don't think there's a universal, but I think if we can get enough data that shows here's how OKRs are really moving the needle for organizations, then I think that helps to justify the practice of OKRs. Second question, where are OKRs the most important or should, like where should organizations think about 
the application of OKRs within their organization? Because I've heard different answers for this. Curious your thoughts on that. I think anytime you have uh, a need for rapid growth in an industry where it's not super well-defined, right? So it's not a business as usual thing. So you're trying to be creative and it requires uh, multiple teams, right? So that's that alignment or cross-functional work. So cross-functional initiatives that are in hot growth areas where it's a relatively new phenomenon, which seems to me like there's a lot of that these days. You hear people talking about things and then a month later, they're talking about something else, right? It's AI. No, it's data science. No, it's the digital transformation. That's what like, that seems like something from like a hundred years ago, digital transformation. Now we're onto something else. Chatbots are everybody. So where do you find those hot growth areas in technology for the most part? And then how do we work together with cross-functional teams to create a common language? So I see a lot, believe it or not, in the environmental movement right now, a lot of my clients are actually saving the world, whether it's building more lithium batteries uh, in a cleaner way, whether it's harnessing more energy from air <laughs> flowing through things or whatever, getting garbage to turn into energy, whatever it is, they're coming up with these super innovative ways to get more efficient around climate change issues. And that's the real hot area. And I think OKRs are gonna come into play there quite a bit. OKRs seem to be actually really ripe for that. What's exciting is it's not just about increasing revenue from X to Y, but rather reducing carbon emissions from this to this, or reducing the amount of time it takes to create this much lithium for your battery, how to harvest it more efficiently or whatever, because that's what's going to be needed. So I think that's really where OKR has come to play in those hot, rapid growth areas, where it takes a lot of different people, smart people from different domains to come together and have that common goal language. So the environmental part of ESG. Cool. Definitely. And last question. Where do you think OKRs are headed? I think OKRs are headed everywhere. Like I'm, I, I think people ask me, is this, does, did OKRs peak or are we going to continue to see growth in OKRs? I think we're going to see growth in OKRs. And I think more and more organizations are going to do OKRs properly, right? In the beginning, we saw OKRs, maybe like I mentioned earlier, just write them down. Here's some key results, a lot of output, just making to-do lists and calling it OKRs and then going back to work. Now I'm finding that when people start asking these questions, they experience the thing that happened to me. When somebody asks you these questions, it's so valuable that I think what'll happen is that OKRs will actually become more of a meta approach to work. So rather than saying, oh, I'm doing OKRs as measured by, here are my OKRs. I think uh, it'll be, I'm doing OKRs as measured by, look, I'm coaching my staff by asking them these questions. I'm saying, what do you think is the most important objective for our team right now, why? You know, how we know we're achieving that, right? Asking those questions, even what is the intended outcome of the task? Even if you're not, quote, formally doing OKRs by writing them down and putting them in a system and all that across the entire organization, I think individuals, uh, you'll often hear me say individuals shouldn't write OKRs, doesn't really seem to add value, but I think individuals should be doing OKRs by asking these OKRs questions. And I think that's what you're going to see the growth of OKRs is like more and more OKRs coaches developing in organizations, asking these types of questions that will ultimately help the organization stay aligned, stay focused and so forth, as opposed to necessarily writing more and more OKRs, right? Because remember I say less is more. So less is more when it comes to the number of OKRs, but more is more, right? When it comes to the number of people in an organization who are asking these OKRs questions, and I'm starting to see that happen, right? I have one client that only sets OKRs at the top level they only have three objectives with three, they have like eight or nine key results in their entire organization, but yet they have like hundreds of people now asking these OKRs questions. So in a sense, OKRs have been deployed throughout the organization, 
even though they only have OKRs written at the top level. And I think that's going to become more and more of a trend, right? So it's, it's really the mindset of OKRs. Very cool. Thank you, as always, Ben, for being on the show. This has been really informative. Always great having you here. It's been fun. Can't wait for the next one. If you enjoyed this podcast, then we invite you to join the Dreams with Deadlines community. Dreams with Deadlines is a global network of ambitious business leaders and innovators who are passionate about using OKRs and agile practices to build high-performing cultures, achieve bold goals, and influence our world for the better. Learn more and join us at dwd.community.